Welcome back to the Girl Scout Troop Leader Experience Podcast. I am your host, Sarah Heater, and if you are new here, welcome. I've had an influx of new people reaching out um, that just recently found the podcast. I think putting out um, consistent content again has been really good for connecting with some new people. And for those of you who have been listening for a long time, thank you so much for sticking with me. This year has been crazy for all of us, and um, I'm excited to be back and to be putting out consistent content again for the last few weeks. And I hope I can keep this up because this is great. Um, But I've gotten so many nice messages from some of my longer-term listeners that um, about my troop and about uh, just being glad that my podcast episodes are back. And honestly, it's so cool to hear from you guys and to hear those kinds of messages. There's been some good engagement in the Facebook group, and I have some exciting new stuff that I can't wait to share with you. So um, there's a couple things I'm working on. I teased a giveaway that's coming up in a previous episode. I am working on that. I'm just... um, hammering out final details for a supplier. But um, yeah, I'm excited. So in case you missed it, I'm going to be giving away troop t-shirts to one lucky troop. And so um, that is all part of a bigger vision that I have. And um, the next thing that I am working on as well is a gift box for troop leaders. So you could get it for your your co-leader or for another leader in your area or for yourself because you deserve it. So those are both things that I am working on putting together right now. Um, So yeah. So anyway, if you happen to know any great t-shirt suppliers that will be able to offer wholesale pricing or whatever, please go ahead and let me know what you think. If you have a t-shirt business, reach out to me. Um, But anyways, so for today's episode, I wanted to address um, what to do when you're first getting started. Now, I know that by this coming out in October of 2021, that a lot of people who are listening to this as it's a new episode have already started. Um, But I I think put my little list together of the steps that I think are most important when you're first getting going and you're brand new. And I think that it's going to be helpful for new folks who maybe missed some of these steps (laughs) um, and have been feeling around in the dark. And also, I think that it will be really helpful as a tool or a resource that you can share with new leaders or with, um, you know, whenever you hear somebody talking about, I'm a new leader, where the heck do I start? Whether that's in Facebook groups or somebody in your local area or a friend or whatever. I thought that this would be a good reference point. And um, hopefully when new people find this podcast along the way, this will also be a helpful episode to refer back to. I have so many episode ideas going on in my head and it just makes me want to release new episodes like every day because I'm full of ideas. However, that is not realistic and I cannot keep it up. (laughs) So um, I'm just going to keep on going with what I'm hearing the most from people um, and I feel really excited to talk about and I am going to go from there. 
So if you have a topic or um, an idea or suggestion for a podcast episode, reach out to me and let me know what you're thinking. And um, yeah, I also have a bunch of interviews scheduled um, this week and next week, and I'm really excited about those. And I know you guys love the interview episodes the best. That's what I love the best, too. It's just tough. It's tough to um, find people to be guests on this show without being spammy. And so I've talked about this a couple of times in episodes past, but um, there's a lot of restrictions in like the larger Girl Scout Facebook groups on um, like self-promotion or DMing members. And so inviting people to come on and be guests on the podcast is a little bit tricky. And um, although I work in podcasting professionally, the normal ways that I recommend going about getting guests are kind of tough because this is such a niche podcast. So um, I just haven't had the easiest time um, necessarily like having enough interviews um, banked to be able to do interviews every single week. So I try to do interesting topics and discussion points for the weeks that I don't have an interview recorded. Anyway, that's enough like business stuff. Let's get into the meat of the podcast. So that kind of sounds gross. <laughs> Let's get into the, uh, I don't know, what's a less gross way of saying that? <laughs> um, okay, so I'm talking about the steps that you will take as a brand new leader. If I were brand new if I were starting completely from scratch in a brand new area, these are the things that I would do. And I'm I'm going to address this whether you have background in Girl Scouts or not, whether you were a Girl Scout as a kid or whether you're brand new to Girl Scouts altogether. So either way, these steps would be the same to me. Um, and I am assuming that you already have some girls and at least one unrelated co-leader to help you. So this is not a podcast about recruitment efforts um, as a brand new troop leader. This is assuming you already have interest, you already have a handful of girls and uh, at least one co-leader that you guys are registered, the adults are background checked. So I'm assuming, or at least the, you and your co-leader are. So I'm assuming that much. Um, I think that talking about recruitment <laughs> is probably a whole other podcast episode or several. Um, so assuming that you have some girls and at least one unrelated co-leader and you and your co-leader are registered and background checked and all the girls are registered, okay? The very first thing that you should do once you decide you're going to get started and you get registered is you need to complete your council training. <laughs> and your council training is going to vary depending on where you live, um, what's required for a new troop leader and what's recommended and what's even available um, in person versus online, how many different trainings there are. Um, that's all going to vary depending on your council. I know that GSUSA is doing a training initiative to try to streamline this, um, to try to get 
as many leaders with consistent training as possible all across the country, which is so, so important. One of the biggest reasons why I wanted to do this podcast in the first place is because I think the resources and support vary so much depending on where you live. And so I wanted to create a resource that's free for volunteers, no matter what council you're in, that will apply to you no matter what. So sometimes I obviously I'm going to speak from experience of my council. And I know there's a lot of Arizona Cactus Pine volunteers who listen to this podcast, which is really cool. Um, However, I uh, that's mainly because I'm speaking from experience. I also try to address what might look a little different in different places. So um, in my council, some of the training that has been available for new troop leaders um, is it includes like an overview of GSLE which I've talked about on this podcast. That's one of the reasons why I talk about it on this podcast, because the overview of GSLE, which if you aren't familiar, is the Girl Scout Leadership Experience. That was the kind of inspiration behind the name for this podcast. That is the, the program, basically. That's the, what the research and the, um, I don't know, the professionals at GSUSA, that's what they have dubbed the overall experience that we want every single member to have, no matter how long she is involved with Girl Scouts or how short. So um, every single girl experiencing GSLE and and participating in GSLE is going to walk away with the same outcomes short-term and long-term. And the way that we're guaranteeing that all members achieve these outcomes, both short and long term, is by ensuring that some of the fundamental parts of the program are consistent, even though every single Girl Scout experience is different. So no matter what girls are doing, if we're following GSLE principles when we're organizing the activities, the girls are going to achieve the short and the same short and long term outcomes. Okay, so I've talked about this a lot. I'm never going to stop talking about it until they update GSLE, to be honest. Um, But I I mean, they do update it. They update it all the time. But um, for me, this is the point of what we do. Like, there's so many reasons to do what we do. There's, um, There's so many goals that we have. And for a lot of people, it has to do with like mother daughter bonding opportunities and making memories with your daughters. That's all super important, but I mean, you could go do adventures with your daughter in any way. The reason why you would do Girl Scouts, why Girl Scouts, um, is because we want girls to grow and develop certain skills and um, relationships that Girl Scouts is really, really good at providing. And the reason why Girl Scouts is really good at providing those consistent outcomes is because we're focused on GSLE. So... There's council training that should be available to you or GSUSA training that should be available to you as a new leader or a returning leader. You know, you can go take the training at any time. This is another thing that a lot of people don't necessarily think about um, because we get so caught up in the weeds of all the things that we need to do on the ground. Um, As volunteers, you can actually take the training no matter 
who you are, how long you've been involved. And that's really helpful too, because things do change. And so knowing what training is even available is going to be really helpful. So um, actually one of my upcoming episodes is or maybe several, is going to be going through some of the training that is available in my area right now, which I know is part of the national initiative to streamline training. And so I'm going to be talking a bit more about what is in the actual training at that point. But in the past, I know there's been overviews of GSLE. There's been also a really helpful breakdown of... um, like childhood development. (laughs) So, you know, one thing that I kind of stands out that I really remember about taking this training as a newer leader is that um, like daisies have a really, really short attention span and they're really high energy. And the training that I had through my council when I started as a new leader um, actually talked about how, what the science is behind what daisy level girls attention spans typically look like and so and so on and so forth as they grow how that changes how their ability to focus and what they focus on and what their energy levels are like how that changes and develops with girls over time they're actually um has been training on this in girl scouts in the past and so If that's not currently in the national initiative, then I will revisit that on this podcast in a future episode because I do think that that's super helpful. And like I said, it stands out to me. We also have slash had a like basics training that really goes over like essentially step by step what to do as a new troop leader. Now, how helpful this is, is going to totally depend on who's giving the training and how much you already know and how overwhelmed you are and how ready you are to hear the things that are in there. So like, for example, if you don't even have a co-leader and girls yet, then taking training about how to manage your troop finances is going to be really overwhelming and like feel a little disconnected because you don't even have a troop yet, right? So There's all kinds of things like this. My council also has required training for fall product and for cookies, the cookie program. So if you want to participate in those, you have to take that training. Um, There's also required training for excursions. There's required training for overnights. There's required training for um, like campfire, like anything using a fire. And so you have to take whatever trainings are required for a new leader. Now, typically, not all of those things are quote-unquote due up front. Um, only like the minimum is going to be due up front, but then those other things are things you're going to eventually need. So you just need to find out what training is available and what do you need to take for what. Um, and then get out as much of that training out of the way as you can. Um, because it's just going to give you really good perspective and take away the limitations of what you can and can't do. So council training. Um, Along the same lines of that would be making sure your bank account gets set up, filling out whatever forms for your bank account that you need to do through your council. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean you go to a bank and you open an account for your troop. No, your council is going to have a bank that they have – like agreements with and they have business accounts and they're going to open it for you. You fill out paperwork to be a signer on the account as a registered and background checked member because the money is really theirs. 
Um, so the account is in their name. It's their account. You're a signer on the account, so you have access to it. So whatever the banking process looks like in your council, it's going to be something similar to that. Um, and you should do that upfront as well, because having a bank account is going to be really necessary really quickly. You can absolutely start a troop without your bank account set up, but just trust me, it's one of the things you want to do right from the get-go. Now, typically, both your training and setting up your bank account should be pretty, like, immediate, um, natural processes. You should basically receive emails or phone calls about what you need to do, and you just follow the steps, right? Like, that should be somewhat automatic. If it's not, then um, this next step is going to help you. But even if it is automatic, the next step is that you need to get to know your local staff person and your service team or serv- and, and or service unit, um, which may also be called like a neighborhood or a community. You need to know both of those entities. So... They call them different things, but this position exists in every council, which is a staff person who oversees the member support in different areas throughout your council. So they're responsible for overseeing recruitment efforts. They're responsible for um, making sure to uh, like disseminate information from council to the ground level volunteers like us. And, um, you know, they usually are involved or able are able to be involved in like conflict resolution, banking issues, approving your trip forms and whatever paperwork you have to fill out. So um, that staff person is going to be really, really helpful. They're also like a really good go to person when you have questions. Excuse me, when you have questions. My asthma is crazy these past couple days, so I'm doing the best I can, but um, I'm sorry if it like I one thing I hate about podcasting is that when you take a really noisy breath or something like that, or you kind of like choke on your word, it's right in someone's earbuds a lot of times. So I apologize. I'm doing the best I can. To be honest, I'm not gonna go back through and edit this episode. I'm just gonna let it be me in all of my raw glory. So um, so I do apologize if you're having to listen to me like kind of struggle to breathe a little bit. I'm fine. Um, anyways, so this person is a good go-to person when you have questions all along the way. The other main person who's going to be really good if you have questions is going to be the, I'm going to call them a service team manager, a service unit manager. Again, it's going to have, this title is going to be different depending on where you are, but essentially your service unit or neighborhood or community, whatever they call it, has a like leadership team. These are volunteers. They are unpaid. They're just other volunteers, usually other troop leaders who agree to take on extra responsibilities to help support volunteers in your area. So there's probably a monthly meeting that takes place for your service unit or your area, your neighborhood, your community that you should be attending. That is for all leaders. You absolutely should attend those meetings. So you need to know when and where they are. And the person who generally oversees those meetings or runs those meetings is like the leader of leaders in your area and um, or like a service unit manager. They are also going to be a really good point person to go to for information, for questions, for support. 
They need to know who you are and you should know who they are. They're going to help make sure that you're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing along the way. And um, you're going to need access to them for like cookie training, for um, like cookie distribution, for prizes, the girl individual rewards after cookie season and whatnot. Um, And uh, they're just a really good resource because normally someone who agrees to take on those that kind of role has a lot of experience as a troop leader in your area. So they're going to be really, really knowledgeable about being a troop leader in your area. And one of the reasons why like, I kind of see these two people as fairly equal for a new leader is because mm, everybody's their own individual person and you're going to probably have some things that you might prefer to talk to a staff person about and some things you might prefer to talk to a volunteer, not a staff person about, but also just different personalities are going to speak to you, right? Like you might find one of those people gels with you better, you connect with them better, maybe um, just to be quite clear, like you're going to like one of them better than the other, most likely. And um, and so that way you have multiple resources and you're not stuck with somebody who you feel like doesn't get you or doesn't speak your language, hopefully not literally, <laughs> figuratively. Um, and, you know, it just kind of diversifies your resources for you. Um, generally speaking, they should have the same information. So you're going to get the same answer regardless of which one of those people you ask. But um, there can be turnover with both of those positions too. And so like, you know, just picking the one that you feel like you can rely on the best and that you like working with the best, you want to get to know them both. And then um, that way you have those both as resources. You also want to ask either or both of those people what kind of new leader support or resources are available for your neighborhood or community or service unit. So some service units have a another like leadership role that is specifically for mentoring new leaders. And this is something that we have talked about on this podcast in the past. Uh, Jill Kelch came on um, a couple of times on here and she, her girls came on and talked. And in one of the episodes that I spoke with her, she was really, really advocating for the need for mentorship um, in service units, that every service unit should be, or neighborhood or community, should be advocating for new leader support. Um, because this is going to completely vary depending on where you are. I can't make any promises of what kind of support there is. Some places might have like, um, actual supplies they can give you. Some might have just advice they can give you. Some might just be like, um, Hey, I'm your buddy. Ask me anytime you have questions. Some might even come run your first couple meetings for you. So it just is totally going to vary depending on where you are, but, um, that can be very, very, very helpful. So, and it might not be helpful at all because they might not have anything in place, in which case you have now found an opportunity that once you know what you're doing, maybe you can be that person and that resource for other new leaders in the future because obviously your service unit needs you. So, um, so that would be the next thing is like getting to know those key people and finding out what resources or support are built in for new leaders in your neighborhood. Okay. Um, the next thing that I would say 
you should do as a new leader is lock down a meeting, a troop meeting location and a day and time. So you need to kind of decide what day of the week you want to meet, what time of day, how long are you meeting? um, And then where the heck are you going to do this? Now, Deciding this may depend on what is um, available at the meeting location that you choose. It may depend on when you and your co-leader are available. It may depend on what works for the troop families in your group that you already have. It may be a mix of all of these things. So, um, you know, you just kind of have to decide. I will say that meeting weekly or every other week is very, very normal or even to be more specific, meeting twice a month, those three arrangements are probably the most common. So either meeting same day and time every week or every other week or like on the first and third week or the second and fourth week of any given month. So, um, you know, you you decide um, about how much you're willing to do. I will say any of those things are totally reasonable and normal, especially if you're starting with younger girls. So my troop, when I first started as a new leader, we decided to do every other week. And part of the reason is because we didn't want to bite off more than we could chew. And part of the reason is because I was in a new relationship with my current partner and he is a dad and he co-parents. And so he had his kids every other week. And because this relationship was so new, um... I we basically didn't see each other when he had the kids. So I made plans when he was parenting, basically. And so um, part of the reason, just totally honestly, why we chose every other week is because I chose to have Girl Scouts on the weeks that he had the kids. Now, (laughs) that schedule completely changed and now I'm their stepmom so obviously I want to spend time with them um, as opposed to be gone when they're around so that like that didn't end up sticking but that is actually like a huge reason why we started it also when we first started my troop when I was a brand new troop leader I worked in finance and so there was a particular week every month that was always a really, really crazy week that we were doing end of month work. And so I worked crazy, crazy hours that week. And so it worked for us to build in having that week off of Girl Scouts. And so um, that's kind of how we created how often we were meeting. We picked the day um, similarly because it worked for both of us, me and my co-leader. We looked at our schedules. Tuesdays made sense for us. And so Tuesday every other week worked really well. For the time of day, we did 6 p.m. because we both worked until 5. And that gave us time to grab something to eat and to get to the meeting location and get start getting set up before girls arrived. It did not give us a lot of time because we didn't want it to go too late in the evening since we had young girls, but um, but we had to do evenings. This ended up working really well for my troop because 
most of my troop members had two working parents or only one parent to begin with. And so that parent was working. And so they also worked until 5 p.m. and needed to be able to bring girls to Girl Scouts after 5 p.m. We did have potential new members who would reach out sometimes who that did not work because it was too late in the evening. I had several interested Daisy families over the years who, when they heard how late our meetings went, um, they were like, yeah, that's not going to work for us. And they it was a, not a good fit. But when you're a volunteer, you really have to do what works for you. So what works for you and your family and your co-leader and their family? And then you decide based off that. And other families who it works for are going to be attracted to you. And families who it doesn't work for can start their own troop or find another troop. And that's like a harsh way to say it, but you honestly cannot please everyone. So go ahead and get that out of your head just from the beginning. Um, you have to do what's going to work for you and your family um, and your co-leader and their family. So we met the first year for one hour, so from six to seven, and it was not enough time. Basically, we had to be completely set up before the girls got there, and then after they left, we had to do all the cleanup ourselves because the activities took the entire hour. Also, because we only saw them every other week, it felt like it flew by. And so <laughs> I think if you meet weekly, an hour would probably be easier because you could get a lot more done across two meetings instead of just in one meeting. I don't know if that made sense. But hopefully you know what I mean. Basically, that you'd have like you know, you'd have twice as many opportunities to meet. And so you could get through, let's say a badge took you two meetings instead of one meeting, or it took you four meetings instead of two meetings, you could get the same amount done because in a in a month because you meet more often. So a, an hour might work if you're weekly. Um, but an hour and a half worked much, much better for us. For my troop, an hour and a half was um, honestly a great amount of time. There were times that we finished a little bit early and then the girls could kind of chill. We could do a closing ceremony and um, the girls could socialize, play, whatever. We played charades a lot when we finished early um, because my group really, really loved charades. But um there were also other meetings where we ran right up against the clock and parents showed up and we were still cleaning up. So, um, but the point is that an hour and a half gave us enough time to comfortably get our meeting plans done and also for the girls to be the ones to do the cleanup instead of us. That's such an integral part of Girl Scout culture, which if you're brand new, you wouldn't necessarily know, but you would know that you were annoyed every time you and your co-leader were stuck being the ones to clean up and the girls were all gone. Teaching the girls to clean up after themselves and to leave the place better than they found it is like a fundamental part of Girl Scout culture. And so it's really, really important that the girls are part of that that part of the experience. And so an hour and a half worked better for us. Two hours honestly would have worked even better, uh, especially as the girls got older and we planned more complex meeting plans. But um, it was just too late at night because um, we had a multi-level troop, daisies through cadets. And so um, six to eight was just not feasible. 
Nowadays, I am um, an entrepreneur. I own my own business. I work from home. I work whatever hours I feel like working. And so I could be a lot more flexible with daytime and length of time. So I could meet earlier if that worked for families. But I know that also the families that did stick with us for the long haul, they couldn't have met earlier. They needed it to be after five. So you know what? To each their own. Um, But we did 6 to 7.30 every other week. That was how my troop worked. So you need to pick a day and time and a length. Now, for meeting location, originally my troop met in the office office building of my co-leader. And it was so nice that they offered their conference room to us. She worked for a nonprofit, so it was pretty cool because we got to talk to the girls about what the nonprofit did or does they still do it um we just don't have anything to do with them anymore she doesn't work there and she's not my co-leader and my troop disbanded so like none of these things apply but um my um but we met there originally the only thing about that that was tough was mess so (laughs) art projects science experiments Um, My co-leader had a lot of anxiety about how we could do really fun kid stuff in a professional environment and to keep it looking professional. Now, as I just mentioned, it's a core tenet of Girl Scouts to leave a place better than you found it. So, of course, there was never a problem. Um, We always planned extra to have, you know, the floors lined with those disposable plastic tablecloths and taped them or taped trash bags to the tables with painter's tape so that um, there was no sign of anything if we were doing something messy. However, that meant a lot of setup and a lot of cleanup. And if we could have been in like a kid-friendly environment from the beginning where we didn't have to stress so much about evidence that kids had been there, um, that I think definitely would have taken some stress off her shoulders because I think she just really felt like an extra sense of responsibility since she also worked there. Um, And typically they would charge groups to use their space and they let us use it for free. Um, And so that was great for the first year, but we did feel a little bit of pressure that they were doing us this service and not everyone necessarily agreed that we should be able to use the space for free. So we just changed our location. Um, at one point we were trying to meet at a like community room in a um, fire station and it's so cool because in my area you can do that for free you can meet at fire stations for free they were so nice the um firemen were really nice the i shouldn't say that the firefighters were really nice all the staff people at the fire station were really nice but also the administrative staff who helped us get it set up to begin with um were really nice the only problem is that we didn't meet during office hours and so the fire the fire station was locked and you had to have a a one-time code that was only good for that time and if it didn't work you could not get into the building and there was no one to contact because it was after business hours you couldn't like call for help and say my code doesn't work which you could do if we met during office hours. Um, 
if there were fire station staff around or firefighters around, they would let us in. And especially they kind of got to know us. It was only a few weeks that we did this, but um, they kind of knew who we were and knew to expect us. And so they were pretty good at letting us in when our code wouldn't work. But one time we went and there had been a fire, so nobody was there and our code didn't work. And so we were stranded outside at night with a bunch of girls in front of a fire station. And it was like not a good situation. So um, and we had a we have a drop off troop, which I really recommend um, that you have only the amount of adults there that you need, not extra adults sitting in the back you know, talking and messing around and distracting the girls only have the amount of adults that you need at any given um, meeting. But that meant that uh, these girls got dropped off and we couldn't get inside. So it was like it was just not a good situation. Um, Good in theory didn't work out for us. So the next thing that we did was we honestly reached out just blindly to any organization or business in our general service area where our troop was located. And I literally used Google Maps, looked for places that might have enough room to host us that might be willing to put up with kids there every week without it infringing on what they do. So we reached out to, um, Faith commun- faith-based communities. We reached out to community centers. We reached out to uh, like theater-related things, anything youth-oriented. We reached out to schools. We reached out to hotels. We reached out to. Um, I'm trying to think. We ended up getting some really, really good responses. Some places wanted to charge us, um, and some places wanted to charge us like a lot. Um, other places were willing to do it for a discounted fee or for free. Um, some places were willing to do it, but they weren't available on that specific day and time. And so if we were willing to do a different day or time, then they could accommodate us. And so we ended up finding, um, a church, which ended up being our home for the next several years. And, um, that was honestly like just a huge, huge, huge uh, luck of finding, (laughs) Um, the girls' school, so we had girls from multiple schools, but the school that most of the original girls were from wanted to charge a fee. And we were willing to pay the fee, but we wanted to find a free place as a priority if possible. Libraries charged a fee, but higher in our area. Not all do, so definitely ask. Um, But library and school, those are the places I remember meeting as a kid. And so I thought of them first, but we were really trying to avoid paying fees, especially as a brand new troop. Um, And even our second year, like our, we were only one year in. And so we really wanted to keep the overhead as low as possible. And so we found a free place to go. Um, At the time, every single person in our troop was definitely from a Christian family. And so meeting at a church did not feel like overly exclusive, although I did wonder if it would be like off-putting at all for recruitment. Um, We did end up having some girls who were not from Christian families who joined. The room we met in was not, I don't know how to say this, like I hope this doesn't offend you, um, but not particularly churchy. It was uh, their children's ministry, their children's center, so it was not in like 
I guess you could say the actual church, but it was on the grounds. And um, it was nice because we had bathrooms. We It was like definitely kid oriented with the decor. Um, there was a courtyard that ended up having pretty cool playground equipment. Um, not in that exact place, but on the grounds that we had a key to. We had a full kitchen that we had access to use, which was great for um, like cooking badges and, and sleepovers and stuff. They were really, really gracious with us to allow us to do sleepovers. So when we started our overnight progression, the girls could actually spend the night in the same room where they had troop meetings. So it was a really familiar space. Um, and then in the morning, they could make breakfast in the kitchen. So that was really, really helpful. Um, so it was like a cool thing that worked out for us. I have been, I, I definitely struggled in my gut of like, this isn't a church affiliated troop but it will come across as a church affiliated troop and inclusivity is really, really important to me. How is this coming across? And I will say that I've heard a lot of people expressing similar things about Girl Scouts and religion online recently. Um, so that's just something to consider. It may or may not be appropriate or right for you. You have to decide. Um, but faith communities, community centers or houses of worship are generally pretty good at um, allowing because they're they serve the community right and so they're usually pretty good at accommodating girl scout troops so it's tough you just have to decide what's right for you okay so so far we registered and background checked right we did all our council training and set up our bank setup our bank account. We got to know the staff person in our area and our service team, like leader, manager, and just in general when our neighborhood meetings are every month, etc. We found a meeting location and decided on a day and time for our troop meetings. The next thing that I would do is get together a year plan. So I just did two episodes that will really help you put together your year plan. Um, one that goes through kind of what to expect seasonally in Girl Scouts. Um, and then the other is breaking down the actual process of planning an entire year. But basically what you're going to do is you're going to consider what kinds of things you might want to do. What kinds of activities do you want to do? What kinds of field trips are, do you want to take or, you know, whatever. Um, if you were a Girl Scout or if you dreamed of your kid being a Girl Scout or if your kid dreamed of being a Girl Scout and begged you, what are the things that you looked forward to doing? You also want to find out um, when cookie season is in your area and kind of what the cookie deadlines generally are and kind of what that whole schedule looks like. So um, you're going to put that together. Now, I realize that if you're brand new to Girl Scouts, even if you were a Girl Scout as a kid, but like if there's been a break in between you being involved in Girl Scouts and you being involved in Girl Scouts now as an adult, it's a different program. Um, and if you were never involved, it's really like brand new. So in addition to the training, it would be really helpful to review what badges are even available. Now, in the past, we had a book called The Girl's Guide to Girl Scouting which was the most recent handbook. They do still have handbooks per level, but the handbooks don't have badge requirements in them. So the handbooks nowadays 
are just talking about what that level is and what that level does. So you'll get familiar with the grade levels and what they even are in your council training, um, your new leader training that you've already done, right? Because that was like step one. So, um, but in order to know what badges there even are and what those badges look like, my best recommendation for a brand new troop leader is to go on the badge explorer, girlscouts.org badge explorer, um, because you can filter it by level, you can filter it by topic, and it's updated in real time. So when they release new badges, the new badges are on there. It doesn't have a ton of detail. It doesn't have a ton of like resources or activities or anything like that. It's very basic. It's here's what the badge looks like, and here's the like minimum of the steps to earn it. Um, the volunteer toolkit is one of the things that you would hear about in training and that everybody would probably refer you to from the Girl Scouts organization. Like, oh, use the volunteer toolkit. I personally think it's really overwhelming and a lot, so I don't use it. Um, it is a, a potentially good resource for you, though, because um, those um, if you plug in the badges that you want, it's going to give you a meeting plan, including even a script of what to say to the girls to run the different activities throughout the meeting. It'll give you a supply list. So that's the volunteer toolkit. That could be really helpful or it could be really overwhelming. Um, so personally, I just recommend like click around in the badge explorer, get to know what kind of badges are even available to girls at the grade level or levels that you're serving in your troop. And then you can kind of use that to put together a year plan. Um, but you don't need to be super badge oriented either. Think more about in terms of what experiences you want your girls to have and that you're also going to think about seasonally, right? So... Um, along those lines, once you put together like a year plan, which again, I did a whole episode on this, so I'm not going to go on about it any longer in this episode. But once you put together like a rough year plan, you're going to have a vague idea of what kind of supplies you need and how much is going to cost money. Now you know whether you need to pay for your meeting location. Now you know if you're going to have a ton of supplies and a ton of like field trip fees, activity fees, um, which, of course, I recommend for new troops to keep that all as low as possible. Like, do as much free as you can. Um, but as you get kind of an idea, you can start to think about troop dues. Another thing to think about considering troop dues is the area that you're serving. Um, so I happened to start my troop in a fairly affluent area. Um, most of the families in my troop were pretty well off. And so $50 a year was not a big deal for them, especially compared to the other extracurriculars or voice lessons or sports or um, what other uh, instrument lessons, um, any of those other activities, $50 a year was pretty low actually for participation. But there are of course other locations in my council in my area in my city that are not super well off where $50 a year would literally prevent people from participating like there's not even a chance of that family being able to participate especially if it's $50 a year per girl and they have siblings right so um it's important to consider like what's realistic for your area um what's real what what would be realistic in my council, I believe they do not recommend going over 15 
$100 per year in the area where I started my troop, 50 to 100 a year was normal. Um, some people do troop dues by meeting. Some people do them monthly. Some people, like we did it by year because I just didn't want to keep track of the paperwork. Um, so your service unit, service team, service unit manager, whatever it's called in your area, that person is going to be probably the best for asking questions about what's normal for troop dues in your area. Um, but that gives you like some money to actually get started with is if you, your girls pay troop dues. Now, some troops don't even have any troop dues and they just wait to pay for anything until they have cookie money. If you have to pay for your meeting location, though, that means paying out of pocket yourself, which, of course, Girl Scouts as an organization does not recommend that you ever pay a dime out of pocket because for tax purposes, it gets all kinds of confusing if you mix your personal money with troop money and your personal expenses with troop expenses. So Girl Scouts as an organization is going to tell you absolutely never spend a dollar on your troop of your own personal money. If you have personal money to spend and you choose to donate that to your Girl Scout troop, then, you know, you're going to have a lot more options. But it totally depends on your personal circumstances. And certainly it's not recommended or <laughs> by all means, it is not required, but it's not even recommended that people do it. In fact, it's recommended that you don't spend a dime of your personal money. So you may need some level of troop dues. So these are just things to think about. Um, when you make these decisions, now you have a meeting location day and time. You have a rough idea for your year of what's coming. You are, um, you know what, what you want to do as far as troop dues. Then you need to plan a parents meeting. And I actually did an entire episode about planning a parents meeting in the past. Um, maybe we'll revisit this. But basically, this is a good opportunity for you to collect all of the paperwork from each family because you need to have paperwork, essentially permission slips and health history slash allergies, that kind of thing for each girl every single year. You need to get that updated because th that information changes, right? So you need to get that every single year. And so a parents meeting is a great time to do that. It's also a great time to tell them the year plan, potentially collect troop dues, or at least tell them that troop dues are a thing and when the deadline is to pay them. Um, and you can let them know like, this is when our meetings are going to be. Any questions? Um, so this is an opportunity to also introduce to them kind of the basics of the program, what Girl Scouts is for, what training you've been through, what, you know, what makes you, I don't know, certified, quote unquote, to uh, be a troop leader. So you can establish some know, like, and trust factor with the parents. Um, this is also a good opportunity to get a parent or guardian registered for each girl. You could do that at the parents' meeting. Um, that's highly, highly recommended. It's also a good opportunity to get volunteers to rotate into troop meetings so that you have the extra hands for help or you can meet your adult safety ratios um, to find out who's interested in like field trip opportunities or carpool. It's also just an opportunity for you to get a feel for the different parents and the different families because every single girl is coming from a different support system at home. And so understanding what is her support system like at home is going to help you be a better leader to the girls. So getting to know the parents is just part of building the community. And that's a big part of running your troop. So yeah. And then of course there's actual business. 
So that's what I would do. That's Those are the, the things that are most important to start with as a brand new troop leader. And um, from there, you can really take off running. But that's where to start. And yeah, I hope that this is really helpful. Um, if this helped you, if you're a new leader and this helped you figure out what the heck you're supposed to be doing, please let me know. I love hearing from you. And also, I want to support you. Like, that's the whole reason that I started this. So if you're a brand new troop leader, please reach out to me. Tell me what you're struggling with. Tell me where you're from. Tell me how your experience has been so far and let me help you with that. Um, also, you know, I'm not going to be well-versed in your specific area, but I will absolutely... I will absolutely do what I can to help you have as positive of an experience as possible for your sake and the girls. Um, if you are not a new troop leader, but you think that this is helpful information, please share it with new troop leaders. This is something that I really want to be a resource that you can share um, as a new leader resource when people reach out for new leader resources in your service unit or neighborhood like I recommended that they do um, about 40 minutes ago. So um, so this is a resource that you could point people to just to give them kind of some insight into what the heck to do next. Um, but yeah, or maybe this will inspire you to create a document or a resource for new leaders in your area of how the heck they get started. What are the steps that they need to do to get started? I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that I have a giveaway and a gift box um, opportunity coming up and I want you to have all the information. I don't want you to miss a thing. And so to ensure that you get to um, be considered to be a troop to win troop t-shirts from me, I'm going to pay for them and send them to you. Um, you can hop in that Facebook group um, and or if you're interested, I know I didn't say much about the gift box because there's just not much to tell yet, but if you are interested in these kinds of things, in addition to other discussion and resources and whatever fun stuff, uh, if you want to engage with me and other people who listen to this podcast, get into the Facebook group. The Facebook group can be found at facebook.com slash Girl Scout podcast. That's facebook.com slash Girl Scout podcast. If you're not on Facebook, because I know lots of people are not anymore, um, and you don't want to miss anything, send me an email, girlscoutpodcast at gmail.com. Send me an email. Tell me I'm not on Facebook, but I don't want to miss the cool stuff and I will get you added to my email list. Um, by the way, if you've been listening for a long time, I've never I'm just starting my email list. So you haven't missed anything yet. I've only been using the Facebook group. And even that, as you know, has been sparing. But um, I'm going to start emailing an email list more consistently. So um, you'll hear more about that in the Facebook group if you're in it. If you're not in, on Facebook, but you don't want to miss anything and you want to get on that email list, send me an email, girlscoutpodcast at gmail.com. If you join the Facebook group, you're going to have the opportunity when you join the Facebook group and also when you're already in it, there will be opportunities to join the email list. So don't worry, you're not missing anything. <laughs> I promise. Um, okay. 
I have rambled long enough. I didn't even think this was going to be a long episode. I thought it was going to be short, but turns out I have a lot to say on this topic. So (laughs) I have a lot to say on every topic. I know that's what you're thinking. If you've been listening for a while, that's what you're thinking. Anyway, I hope you all are well. Stay safe. Stay healthy. I'm sending you all my Girl Scout love and I will catch you in the next one.